there, submarine fans. This is Eric from thesubvet.com, and you're listening to the Subvets Podcast. Welcome aboard. It is the Subvets. I'm Dave. And I'm Eric. And what in the world have you been doing? You look like you've been on vacation. Oh, no, no, Dave. I'm just wearing, wearing some shades, you know? Aren't you I indoors? live like right down the street from uh, Buckley Air Force Base. And I'm assuming those golf ball looking things with radar and satellite dishes they're not there for a reason so just case things might get bright all of a sudden i want to make sure i'm protected i got my uv lotion on sp uh one million should be good to go what do you think no i think tom all lear, right, I'll take i think shit. tom lear was right we'll all burn together when we burn <laughs> we're all burned together <laughs> welcome aboard my friends it is uh it is the Subvets podcast so i am going to caveat this show this this episode not the show as a total although this caveat applies to the show i guess um there will be no classified information discussed here uh, both of us have our experience in that subject matter but the the reality of it is Nothing that we say here should be construed as the official position of the United States Navy or the United States government, past or present. The information that we talk about here is fully open sourced, and it is either open sourced information, excuse me, my voice is a little cracky today, or it is just opinion. So take it as such. Let me add to that that I personally am not an opsent guy. I'm not one of these people that spends my entire day in front of a computer reading about open source intelligence. I just don't do that. I'm a history and a philosophy guy. So if you want to argue about the capacities or capabilities of an individual given website or weapon system, I'm not the guy for that, but I am a big picture guy. So that's, uh, that's my caveat on this show. And I'm, I'm not done. I'm not doing it. I've been busy this week anyways. You know, I, I got I got other stuff I've been doing. What do you do? So, so well, well, I've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings. So I, there's a new product I want to put on the subvet.com. I'm trying to find a baseball catcher's mitt, specially designed to catch it. And I just, you know, I'm real. I I find out that people hang up on Zoom calls right away. You know, if you if you give too much information away. But, you know, I just, you know, I want to be right there and I want to catch an object. And they said, well, how fast? Because they're like, you're trying to catch a baseball? I'm like, no. Well, then why do you need a baseball a bit faster. I don't know. I figured it looked good. You know, some of you videotape it and it might get on the internet. It could be famous. I won't be here to see it. But, you know, it'd be, I thought it'd be cool. Sure. So, yeah, I'm trying to tell them. They said, well, how fast is this object you're trying to catch? And I say about 12 to 16K miles per hour. And they hang up. I don't get it. 
You're really panicked about this tactical nuclear weapon thing. Sorry, (laughs) nuclear weapons. I'm not panicked. I'm just uh, just just a little bit of reality. Man, you can only get your warhead catcher's glove on the subvet.com. That's my vision, Dave. It's my vision. Well, I played catcher for many years in baseball and softball, and I have the knees to prove it. So I don't think the catcher's gloves that I had, and I spent a lot of money on catcher's gloves, would stop a would stop a reentry body. Well, speaking of baseball, how about some football? Looks like uh, I never can't say his name. Can you say the head coach of the Navy midshipmen? Can you? Not Nia, if you had not asked me, Lulu. Nia, not, <laughs> he's from, I know he's from Hawaii, right? He is, and, and he went Nia to Matalolo. university there. Nia, Nia Matalolo. yeah, Nia Matalolo. yeah. But it looks like uh, the running game, not like I know a lot about football, anyways, didn't help him this time. No. Air Force beat him out for the defense trophy, so wasn't a big well, loss. St- Did you watch any to, of it? I, I watched the first half. Um, they still have to beat Air Force. Or Air Force still has to beat Army. Or have they played already? I don't think they've played already. No, no, because so. that, that game is usually later. Because well, a no, lot of Navy hazards. Navy plays Army later, but I, I don't I don't think our Air Force has played Army yet. So maybe they have. Yeah, right. I uh, yeah, but I think it, there was always big pageantry with the Navy Army game, regardless yeah. of what the status of the trophy is. Right. So that's how that goes. Air Force down. winning the Armed Forces Trophy is not that big of a deal because the Armed Forces Trophy, no matter how you slice it, is still not a tactical nuclear weapon. Sorry, nuclear weapon. No, it's say not. Correctly. So, what is a tactical nuclear weapon? What does that even mean? I just have, I, I happen to have the, you know, the Wikipedia, man. That's the go to, all right. They got all the answers. Well, they got a one paragraph phrase. Let's read it real quick, Dave. A tactical nuclear weapon or a non-strategic nuclear weapon, I'm probably saying strategic wrong, is a nuclear weapon or nuclear, 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 which is designed to be used on a battlefield in military situations, mostly within friendly forces in proximity and perhaps even on contested friendly territory. Generally smaller in explosive power, they are defined in contrast to strategic nuclear weapons, which are designed mostly to be targeted at enemy interior far away from the war front against military bases, cities, towns, arms, industries, and other hardened larger area targets to damage the enemy's ability to wage war. No tactical nuclear weapon has ever been used in combat situations. See, I'm not sure Ever. I agree with that at all, but we'll talk about why here in just a moment. That's so breaking the, down. It's breaking the concept, down. <laughs> the concept then comes down to you've got tactical and you've got strategic, and what is the answer? Well, as Eric read to you there from the from the pages of the Wikipedia, and if you can't believe Wikipedia, who can you believe? Right? That's right. That's Man, that is a source. Okay. Anyways, is, <laughs> moving on. I would submit to you that it is possible to use a strategic weapon in a tactical manner. It is all it is harder to use a tactical weapon in a strategic manner. Why? Because of the design of the weapon. As as Eric read to you, the tactical nuclear weapons tend to be, and I use the term tend to be, smaller devices. There was a time where this nation had nuclear warheads set on bazooka heads. So, you know, your little green army man with the bazooka out there. Something right out of Starship Troopers, you know, you're going you're gonna to fire a nuclear weapon at a tank. 
which seems to be, and I'm going to use a phrase here, a little bit of overkill. And I believe there's an actual video of because they tested a live atomic, one out of a out. It wasn't a howitzer, but the howitzer Annie. of its time, yeah, the 155 yeah, howitzer, Atomic Annie. You can Was see that? the film online. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's, it's on there. That's for real. Yeah, <laughs> for reals. But you couldn't use that. You couldn't use that weapon in a strategic manner, but you could use a strategic weapon in a tactical manner. For example, you could take theoretically. You could take a a Trident missile and dud X number of the warheads and use one warhead to, to accomplish a tactical purpose. Why you would do that would be bizarre, but, you know, it's a case. When in my day, you know what we used to say about stuff like that? D5 capability. <laughs> Meaning somewhere my, down the line. My day is, you got to be crazy if you even think to do that. Why? How does the enemy know that said Trident missile doesn't have the big boys on it? Right. They right. don't. They don't. Well, so. so that's what I used to say to people all the time, too. I can neither confirm nor deny that there are nuclear weapons aboard the USS Michigan. However, right. as a personal opinion, what I would tell you is that if there aren't any, it's a hell of a waste of taxpayers' tax money. If there aren't. I like that. But read into that what you will. So if you look at weapon systems throughout history, um, you see this over and over again. Let's go back, I don't know, 3,000 years. The first, the first naval warship ever invented. Now, prior to this, naval warfare was usually you had a cargo ship, some sort of commercial ship, and the other guy had a commercial ship, and you rammed them together. And you ran at each other, and you basically had a land battle on top of the ships. Mm-hmm. But somewhere around the 5th century BCE, the Phoenician, the, the, the Levant area in the eastern Mediterranean, invented a new way of doing things. And the, the, the type of ship was known as the, it's known today as the trireme. And this became the dominant naval warfare ship for almost 400 years. I mean, they were still using them at the Battle of Actium when Octavian defeated Mark Antony. Okay. Is this when they used the fire ships? Like literally set a ship. The fire ships fire were a modification. So the trireme becomes the basic form of the, of the weapon. And right. as designed, it's a very tactical weapon. The idea here is you put a big bulbous bow on the thing, sharp case it in bronze. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you run as fast as you can towards the other guy and hopefully you catch him inside and you just <laughs> crash into him. And reality is in most cases, they don't even sink the ships. What they do is they just break them up. So they just become floating debris. So Using kinetic energy. Yeah. Now there are obvious modifications to this. There are tactical adaptations. For example, the Athenians are able to train themselves so that they can turn these triremes on a dime. They can turn 180 degrees in less than a minute. The Spartans, that's a, that's a feat. The Spartans never managed to accomplish that. So they have to come up with different tactics because we can't figure out how to do that. So we have to come up with different tactics. And, and this whole thing flows back and forth. So you have this very tactical weapon system in the trireme. But what you really have is a strategic weapon system because the trireme becomes a, a game changer particularly when Darius and the, and the Persians invade. Now, all of a sudden you've got, 
city-states that can build these triremes, these ships, very quickly, and the balance of power. Well, if they have 50 of these triremes, how many do I have to have to negate them? How many am I going to lose in a battle with them? How many do I need to make sure that I have so that, you know, I can trade one for one and still win? Which is, if you jump ahead a little bit, you have this clearly tactical weapon system in the trireme that has very grave strategic impacts. Well, what happens in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even into the 80s? You have nuclear deterrence, which is essentially functionally the same thing. You have these weapons that can be used any number of ways. And I submit to you that the attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were tactical in nature because the thinking behind them was not strategic. The thinking behind them was not, oh, we're going to, we're going to bring them to the bargaining table. The thinking was this is cheaper, easier, and faster. And, right. and, and it'll mess things I up. I would agree. Yeah. It, t- it was more of a tactical use. Absolutely. But it has a strategic impact. The Japanese look at that and go, crap, that's not good. Well, in the, remember, I don't know when, I don't, I don't remember when you joined the Navy, but when I joined the Navy in 81, Ronald Reagan had just become president. And one of the earliest things he talked about was the SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative, which was somewhat derisively named the Star Wars Initiative. And the idea mm-hmm. here was to counter ballistic missiles, to shoot and them down. And that was in play. Right. Reagan was still in office when I joined in 87. So. Now, whether or not Star Wars actually became or becomes a thing, and to some degree it has, that we have destroyers now in our Navy that are designated as anti-ballistic missile destroyers. Their job is to shoot down ballistic missiles. Whether or not that ever actually becomes a a thing in the 80s, it shifts the balance of power because the Russians, the Soviets, believed that it would. The development of the Trident missile caused, and, and it's, I mean, let's just face it, hyper-accuracy, caused a shift in the strategic situation with these, with these weapons that resulted in the idea that, boy, these could be tactically employed or strategically employed, and we can't counter them. So spending, and that's open source. It, yeah. The Trident missile system was it's exactly what it, it was a severe game changer that probably had a, a lot to deal with ending the, the Cold War when it did. I believe that it did. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but you know, in terms of accuracy, we were when I was you know a young pup, the the last of the Polaris boats were still actually in service then, and they were just starting to be decomp. We were, we were kind of jokingly told, you know, the Polaris missile, if you wanted to shoot at a target, the accuracy was somewhere in the area of you could hit Yankee Stadium's footprint. And then yeah. that was Polaris A1. And by the time you got to A3, you could hit the stadium. With C3, you could hit the infield. And with Trident, you could hit second base. And with Trident 2 you could pick which corner of second base you wanted to hit. Now that's hyperbole, yeah, which, which is, but, yeah, but what, what does it matter at that point? <laughs> right. Well, it matters because you're, you're dealing with counter force and hardened targets and the likes of that. The point being that if you can't counter that, if you can't build enough triremes to match that and the Russians, the Soviets couldn't, what happens to the strategic and tactical balances? Well, now you find yourself in this situation today where, no one takes the Russians as a strategic threat 
horribly seriously. This whole Ukraine war has exposed the Russians in ways that no one ever imagined it would. They have been so incompetent in this invasion, so bad at this invasion, that you almost wonder if it's on purpose. Because how could you possibly screw, how could they be what what they claimed and what we believed and what we sold our own government on them being? But it depends on where you're getting your information on how bad that invasion's gone. Because they were not, I talked to a lot of people from Ukraine and Russia here. And people from Ukraine, they're rooting around Putin. There has to be a reason. So they're saying he purposely tried not to destroy the power infrastructure. He tried not to hit people. But, you know, depending on what source you use, I mean, that could go back and forth. So I was just talking to a Ukrainian just a couple of days ago, and he thought that they they did a good job, and they've been freeing up a lot of people, and there's a lot of people that want to be part of the Russian territory, which some just got annexed in yesterday, I think, which you would know more about that. Than well, me. they did. They they passed their referendum to annex, and then promptly the Russian army this morning, according to the news, withdrew from the area. So, so yay, we want to be Russian, but here come the Ukrainian army. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what what happened, too, at the same time, as soon as that happened, what, what did Ukraine do? They, they signed it. They had, I saw a video. They signed the contract to become a part of. They signed the NATO. application to become part of NATO. The application, right. yeah, not the final, but the application to become part of NATO. And and so they're just they're to, just ratcheting things up. Yeah, right. it's but a back and forth thing. That's a move that makes you escalate or de-escalate or, or whatever. It, it, in a way, even NATO is a is a form of a trireme. It's a form of a tactical weapon that could be used in a strategic na- manner. This whole thing then, of course, leads to Putin's threat last week to use, quote, tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine. And this is this is responded to. I, I think the response to this has been fascinating because the, the, the United States government's position has been the use of any nuclear weapon will basically be considered a strategic weapon, which is, in, in short terms, it's a weapon of terror. I mean, you're, that's what you're doing. And requiring a a some sort of retaliatory response, and what that retaliatory response is, who knows? I mean, with John with uh, John F. Kennedy, it was pretty clear. I don't know that it's clear under the current administration exactly what the response would be. So let's say that Putin carries out his threat and parks a, I don't know, pick one, one kiloton weapon in the middle of Kiev. What's the response? What do we do? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm listening. I'm listening to other. You know how you said you this. You're not a person that, that that follows operational type stuff. But I listen to people do, and they they're in the feeling that NATO is probably going to park one first. Well, and then what does Russia Russia do? So you can go either way with that. I don't know. Comes, what do you do? This comes yeah, but right you're out set, of the book. You're setting up this scenario. Right. This, this scenario. comes right yeah. out of Sir John Hackett's book from the 1970s, late 1970s. Hackett's book called The Third World War, in which the Soviet Union, then Soviet Union, invades Western Europe, and it turns into a, just what we have in Ukraine, a stalemate, a, a, a strategic stalemate, where it's essentially granted. And so in order to, quote unquote, prove to the West that they're serious, they use a strategic weapon in a tactical, although it's more of a strategic, terroristic kind of way, 
they pick up the red phone and, and call the prime minister of Britain, president of France, and the president of the United States and say, we're launching one nuclear weapon to show you that we're serious. And they hit Birmingham, England. Take out Birmingham, England. Right. And so, of course, the allies, NATO, says, well, we have to take out something, too. Now, in this scenario, they decide to take out Kiev. Because at the time, Ukraine is Ukraine SSR. It's part of the Soviet Union. And there's a very good reason why they decide to hit Ukraine mm-hmm. instead of Moscow or any actual Russian city. They hit Ukraine or they hit Kiev. Kiev is destroyed. And the Ukrainians and the other members of the Soviet Union, member states, say, hey, screw this. And they say, no more Soviet Union. We're done. We're out. Mm-hmm. And thus ends the Third World War, according to John Hackett. Well, in today's scenario, what happens if, if I don't think it's going to roll that way? Well, yeah. but if Putin's parks one, you just said our response then is to reply, which is straight out of John Hackett. Of course, we're yeah. going to reply. But I wonder if we really would. Because of exactly yeah. what you said, which is, OK, we park one back on them. Then what? What happens next? Now, the counter to this is what uh, s- several people have sent my show this week talking about. Um, well, Putin will never get the chance to use these weapons because his generals will kill him first, which is what I call Tom yeah, Clancy disease. De- or decap, decap scenarios, yeah. Right. I call that Tom Clancy disease. That's, that's straight out of the right. plot to Cl- Tom Clancy novels. We all assume that, that calmer heads will, cooler heads will prevail. We all assume that. We have no evidence to support that. We have no evidence to... Tell us that's the case. It's wishful thinking. Oh, if if Putin tries to use a nuclear weapon, his generals will stop him. But will they? I mean, you're you're betting you're betting the use of nuclear weapons on a battlefield on fictional novels and wishful thinking, in my view. And 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 here's it. I mean, and I don't want to get into the Democrat Republican thing because that's not the point of this show. But the thing is, we're on the other side is acting as a NATO block. Who's really making the decisions on who who's parking what type of nuclear weapon and where? Well, on the NATO side, so nobody knows. I think it's I think it's set up the same way right now on both sides, which makes this situation very dangerous. And of course, and people need what? yeah, then you go into escalation. Okay, well, they mm-hmm. hit us, we hit them. Do they hit back? I mean, th- this goes back to John Hackett's position, which was, we're trying to show you that we're serious by firing a nuclear weapon at Birmingham, England. But did it really show that you were serious? Or did it show that you were desperate? And this is the question that I would have for Putin if I ever got the chance to talk to him. The, the use of a tactical nuclear weapon on the battlefield by doctrine should be on the offensive or a last gasp defense. Ukraine is not going to invade Russia. There is no danger to Moscow from Ukraine. So why would you do this? What, what's the logic behind it? Is the logic simply making the threat to create a lot of chatter and a lot of, you know, nerves and deterrent responses that say, well, I've got five triremes and you only have three, so you better mm-hmm. you better do what I say, or is it just nerves? There's infrastructure problems on both sides. This is both NATO and and Russia. 
there's no way to fight a regular war. Irregular warfare is off the table. You know why? Because everything's gone to advanced weaponry, and you have to have a manufacturing base. And right now, you got the problem in the South, you know, the South China Sea with Taiwan, the only chip maker on the planet. So if you go into regular, like a regular friendly non-nuclear war, war three, it ain't going to last more than a month because we don't have the manufacturing base to keep making weapons, and they probably don't too. So then you lose enough people, and then one side or the other is forced into the tactical nuclear war or just full out nuclear war situation. This is not this is not pre World War II where countries had huge industrial bases to to make weapons. Is what I that's my I guess, point. I guess I have more faith in the human ability to adapt yeah. and overcome, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Uh, every war, every single war in the modern era since. Since Napoleon, every single war, everybody believes that this is going to be 30 days and we're home. And I don't care if you're talking about Napoleon, the American Civil War, World War One, the Spanish-American War, World War II, whatever. It doesn't matter. And every one of them ends up as these heavily engaged attrition combat situations where you're wearing down the enemy's ability to, to do stuff. Do I have... Do I understand what you're saying about manufacturing? Absolutely, I understand it. But I also think that a crash program to build those infrastructure things could be undertaken as long as, and this is what I come back to, as long as we're not throwing strategic nuclear weapons at each other and nuking everything in sight. There you go. So if you have a nuclear weapon and you know your enemy is gearing up its manufacturing base, are you going to let them do that, Dave? knowing that you you could probably lose and they might have the upper hand on manufacturing. I mean, that's what makes this World War Three. It just plain sucks. And the other thing is, we got who's really in control of what's going on? It's just megalomaniacs behind. You don't see them these guys on your favorite uh, news channel, CNN, Fox News, whatever, whatever you're following. I mean, there's people that are making these decisions that you don't even know who they are. They're behind the money, the wealth, and unfortunately, that's where we're at. But what are they what are they putting on the table? They're using humans as I don't even know if these people are human at this fit. You know, they get so power hungry that they don't even look at us as humanity. Like you were saying, hopefully humanity prevails. And the only way we can do that is, you know, if everybody wakes up because this is a serious one nuclear weapon goes off. And I don't I don't know if you're going back. That's my feeling. I don't know. I don't think you're going back from that. One goes, I think they're all gone. Well, that's and that's piece. the danger of escalation. So in 1945, you drop two nuclear weapons on Japan and there's really no need to drop a third. And, and there's a technical reason why you can't drop a third, which is, how do I say this politely? Oh yeah, we didn't have one. So, yeah. so we, that's what I was going to right. get. Why did that work, Dave? Well, not only did we didn't have one, nobody else had one. So there was no way to really escalate that. Right. But had there been, who knows? By, the, by 1949, of course, the Soviet Union has the bomb. By the 60s, China has the bomb. You know, it, it, gets, it gets a little dicey here. And unfortunately, I think there's, I think there's too much belief in, in the Tom Clancy disease that I talked about, which is that, oh, cooler heads will prevail. Nothing in history tells us that that's going to be the case. Nothing in history tells us that you know, people are going to outsmart this. And 
that's why I, I take the threat by Putin seriously. But I'm wondering why he would do it. it you know, it's, it's like and it's so serious, Dave, that this is how serious it is. There's a chance you might not even see this podcast. That's how serious it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go that far. But, but I mean, let's draw a parallel between this and the pipeline, right? Who blew up the pipeline? Uh -huh. Who blew up the pipeline? Uh, there's no reason for the Amer Americans say we didn't do it. The Russians say we didn't do it. Okay. Why who, would somebody uh, who, do it? Who, well, we got to start first. Who owns the, the Nord Stream? The Russians own the Nord Stream. No, Germans. Well, the Russian Germans. It's, it's a Russian it's German. A Russian yeah, German, it's, German thing. So you can't just say Russian. It can't be one side. And the Germans were wholeheartedly planning on using that gas. Right. It, is it bad to be taking Russian gas? But well, that the gas gets was already politics. shut off. I want that off the table. Right. The gas yeah. is already shut off. The gas pipeline is at 20% and declining. And okay, but shutting they, off the pipeline. Okay, I'll let you say what you're going to say. Shutting yeah, off the pipeline, ahead, the pipeline has significant maintenance issues that go with it. In other words, in many ways, shutting off the pipeline is every bit as bad as blowing up the pipeline. So if the Russians don't want to shut it off completely, they maintain a 20% flow to maintain those maintenance things. What's the motivation for blowing it up? Well, you don't, you, I think I, yeah, I don't want that show to go this way. I the motivation is they want their one world order. They want they intentionally want the people of Europe. The to Russians go. do? No, the Russians don't. I don't think the Russians want anything. I don't think the Russians blew it up, Dave. I don't think they did. Who do you think did? Okay, so if if there and there is there's I even retweeted it. But if you got a, a one president of the United States that says. The Nord Stream pipeline, if tanks cross into Ukraine, then the Nord Stream pipeline is going to go away. Well, how are you going to do that, Mr. President? Don't worry about it. It's going to go away. And then later, the undersecretary, I, I, I don't have her name handy on me, says the same thing. So if we're in a court of law, Nord Stream pipeline goes away, and you have those out of, and you got, you know, 12 people on the jury, who are you going to point at, Dave? I don't know. It, it it looks bad. I'm just saying it looks bad. It looks it just looks bad everywhere. So Response? I, I, I hold to the Cold War model. <laughs> model. Sorry. I hold to the Cold War model, which is neither the Soviets nor the Americans directly do anything. Mm -hmm. But we have subordinates who you know the Hungarians, which, the Bulgarians. The Romanians, Which the Vietnamese. What I'm talking about, right? So, Do, is is there people that were are not in the Navy SEALs or other Navy's UD two forces that would have the skill sets and would could be hired as mercenaries to perform such a feat? What if we knew? Absolutely. What if we knew <laughs> that we have plausible deniability that we can we can somehow uh -huh. or another prove that we didn't do it? So we did it, depending on that proof to prove yeah. that we didn't do it for the same reason. I don't know. The Russians could have done it for the same reason. What if the Russians blew it up just so they could, you know, have a Maskrovka and blame other people? But again, this comes back to you're escalating a strategic situation, which Putin has now introduced the threat of using a nuclear weapon on because he wants to. I'm assuming he wants to show a serious. See, this is where I'm falling down on the whole thing is. Is Putin. An absolute Adolf Hitler. He's been saying that first. I understand that, but, but 
But what's the motivation? You don't just threaten to use nuclear weapons unless there's a reason to do so, because you know what's going to happen. There's always a motivation. There's all yeah. There's always motivation. What is that motivation? I don't. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. And until we know that, how do you how do you counter that? Except to say, well, if you use nuclear weapons, we're going to use them too. And Why are we pouring billions of dollars in weapons that we need in, in a war with Russia into Ukraine and they're being expended right now? Well, the same well, why we, is that go- the same reason why we sell weapons on? to Afghanistan because they're fighting it for us. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you haven't figured that out by now, this is us fighting the Russians, but using the Ukrainian army to yeah, do it. Yeah, but there's people. Yeah, there's people that don't think we're already at war. That's what I'm getting at. Well, I mean, technically, we're Na- not. NATO, NATO and Russia are already at war, but technically not. Right. Is, does that even make sense? Well, <laughs> I mean, we weren't at war with Vietnam, but we were. We weren't yeah. technically at war with Korea, but we were, still are. So you, you run into the situation, and then you got. You know, you've got the the undersecretary you were talking about the other day talking about the fact that, hey, if they drop nukes on Ukraine, the, the fallout's going to hit NATO countries. So that's the same thing as dropping a nuke on us. Well, and it, it, it's very frustrating. It's very concerning. It's very. There was a time back in the early part of the summer where I was losing sleep over it, but I'm I'm not there now because I I feel like. And I, this is just my feeling. You can take it for what it's worth. I don't think that Vladimir Putin is as in charge as he wants to be or thinks he is. That goes back to the Tom Clancy disease. I get it. But desperate men do desperate things. And how far will that desperation expand? What if he fires a nuke into Ukraine and our response isn't to go match force for force? What if our response is, much like 2003 shock and awe, where we try to take him out and just him. All right. Just him. Yeah. Conventionally or nuclear one way or the other. Well, so there was a little thing and, and computers could do this uh, right, right before the end of the cold wars. Russia had seismic triggers for decap scenarios. So they literally have their computer system rigged up to send uh, orders out to their submarines to launch their remaining nuclear weapons in case, you know, there in case the entire command structure got taken on their side. That was, that was in the eighties going into the nineties. We didn't have a seismic river, but we had, we had what was classified. This is, see, this is what's hard for me is the word psyop used to be classified. It's, it's been declassified, but we had the psyop, which was okay. If this happens, then, then this, then this attack option happens and it's automatic. Right. It's automatic. And that's, that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to get is if, you know, when you launch, whoever does it first, things kind of go into automatic scale. They kind of exactly. gets away from the human infra, the human infrastructure kind of gets taken out of it. Okay. And, and, so that, and now you've got AI computers. You got like the war game. Movie, that you know? brings <laughs> us back to if everything is automatic. All right. So now deterrence becomes first strike to, to C3 decap, command communication and control decap, your opponent. Mm-hmm. The United States, as Joe Biden was asked about several months ago in England, has never taken first strike off the table. And right. the D5 weapon system, I'll say it, again, this is my opinion, 
is a first strike weapon. It is designed Absolutely. to be a I, first strike weapon. Yep. Do we take the first strike to take out Putin to prevent a Russian launch? And would it work? <laughs> you know, based on what infrastructure they have to retaliate. We keep well, forgetting about they got that submarines, although, you know, they have a lot of technical issues, but you still got that big fat torpedo that swims up into a port. They say they have. They say they have, but we don't. We, it Nobody's may ever or may seen not it. work. Right. We don't know, but we don't know. But I'm saying they have response capability in a decap scenario as well. I don't even know. I, we just don't want to go there. Either. How and many, I, I how don't many think Virginians do we have there. out there right now trailing Russian boomers and Russian whatevers? Oh, this is the Cold War. Get them all. Kids, well, yeah, one, kids one, you think, one you think this is stressful? <laughs> this was every day from 1949 to 1991. Today, yeah, it's we've frustrating. always been good. But this is what yeah, we yeah. live. We're good at that. <laughs> for, for those years, this was the Cold War, folks. And uh, you never knew what was going to trigger something off. And I'll tell you, you know, I've said this for years, which was the old Soviet Union. I preferred it to the new one um, simply because the leaders of the old Soviet Union were deep, deeply committed commies, but they weren't crazy. And I'm not, right. in some ways, Vladimir Putin came up under that system. But I'm not sure that he learned the same lessons that they did because he wasn't a World War II veteran. He didn't. He never I, actually served. I'm, of, I'm, I'm of the opinion there's crazy on both sides right now. That's how I feel. I mean, do you think there's cool heads on the NATO side versus crazy Putin? I don't know. I think this whole situation looks bad. Just my opinion. But like I said, <laughs> this is what I mean. I grew up going to school in the 1960s and 70s, early 70s. I remember duck and cover drills every week. And I, mm. my dad's, my dad, for those of you who don't know, was a Salvation Army officer. And when he was, Daughter, swimming, you finished digging that hole in the backyard. I need that sucker 30 feet deep. Anyways, with air ventilation, the air first ventilation, yeah. <laughs> we were sent to Pueblo, Colorado. My dad was sent there in 1976. And the, the building that we had there was a fallout shelter. It was full of civil defense supplies. And when I right. went to high school in 1980, 1979, 1980, I went to Ogden, Utah. The building, the school in Ogden, Utah is a freaking bomb shelter. It's uh, still you remember a bomb the shelter. Remember there was radiation yeah. shelter, bomb They're shelter signs there. everywhere yeah. on, this, on these That's schools. what I grew up with. So for me, yeah, in many ways, thing. this is a return to normal. But at the same time, I recognize the fact that for many people, especially younger people, this is nerve wracking. But imagine living this way uh -huh. for 40 years. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, our financial system is unsustainable and uh, all the marbles are on the table and whoever's making the decisions on both sides. I that's negligible. You know, that's how I feel. Right. So I think I think something's going to happen and hopefully the human function stays in there and cooler air prevail and nothing nuclear flies either direction that would that would be nice well on Hopefully. the plus side if it does we still know how to build triremes so we can go get those dirty corrections in our in our triremes we can go back to throwing rocks and slings and 
Yeah, man, there's some kids that they they've been pretending to be what there was my son got into that like 15 years where they pretend to be knights of old and all their stupid armor and hey we're gonna go right back to that kids you're you're all you're all trained up for it instead of instead of using the nerf that pads where you're not hurting each other you'll be using real swords and throwing rocks at each other good luck with that hopefully oh, i'm way, not here yeah, i'll the- be outside with the the subvet.com catcher's mitt catching a warhead that's where i'll be and if you hit each other with those swords, <laughs> they're going to hurt. So what do you think? Send us an email. You can get me at DolphinDave at SlipperyFish.com. And you can get me at Eric at the subbed.com. And you can check and you out. Can, oh, yeah. I was going to get get that. But, yeah, you can check us out on our social feeds. So on Facebook, it's Facebook, Facebook slash group slash the subbed. Or you can go to Twitter, Twitter slash the subbed as well. And you can find us on there where I post the news practically every day except for weekends, but sometimes even on Saturdays, I'll throw something up. So if you want the latest in submarine news from around the world, it's on there. And I do not take sides. I post everything I could find that's submarine related. And also, the subbet.com is selling a new product, which is also, you can find that. It's gold backs. And right now I got some Utah gold backs, but there is currently four states in issue with that. We're going, and this is actual gold back fractional currency, the first one since 1913. Dave, Dave would know about that. But take a look at that and go to goldback.com and you can read a little bit about the history. And if you're interested in that, buying that uh, in bulk, I can definitely get you a great price. But if you just want a few to hang on the wall because they look cool, well, I got them. I got them on a website and you can buy those too. And all that helps out what we're doing here on the subject. And on that note, I'm Dave. And I'm Eric. And this has been The Subbets. That was closer than any other time. (laughs) Hey, everybody, hopefully we're back next time. Have a good week.